Now will you please pray with me? Now, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. It's hard to believe, but we have reached the final week of our sermon series. We believe, we've been looking at the Nicene Creed, and looking at what Orthodox Christians have believed for 2,000 years or so since the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we've been doing that because what we believe matters, and what we believe about God matters most of all. It will define our lives now, but also for eternity. And finally, this week, we've arrived at heaven. The words in the creed say this, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. A few weeks ago, knowing that I'd be talking about this subject soon, I laughed to myself as I picked up the May edition of the Daniel Island Life magazine, and I saw the advertisement on the back cover. It was for the Wellmore Assisted Living Care Facility on the park side, and it read like this, We know you're not ready. But it's never too early to start planning. We know you're not ready, but it's never too early to start planning. I thought that's kind of appropriate for our discussion today. How many of us, if we're honest, might admit that we are not ready for heaven? The old bluegrass song says this, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, right? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. But perhaps that's because we're not really sure what it is that we're planning for. You see, the world's full of different ideas about what happens after we die, ranging from absolutely nothing, just pushing up daisies in the ground, to eternal bliss of one kind or another. And it isn't helped by how different religions believe different things. Muslims, for instance, share many similarities to Christians. Muhammad, after all, based much of the Quran on the teachings of the Old and New Testaments. But the biggest difference is that eternal life is based on our own achievement in Islam and not God's grace. So on the last day, humans will be judged by Allah according to their good or bad deeds in life. And if the good outweighs the bad, then they will get to go to Jannah or paradise. But of course, if the bad outweighs the good, then they will enter hell. Hindus, though, believe in rebirth and reincarnation of souls after death. When a person dies, the soul travels for some time to another world and finally returns again to the earth to continue its journey. It's a sort of this never-ending cycle, on and on and on. Buddhists also believe in reincarnation, that once a person dies on this earth, he or she will be reborn to a new life here. And the status of that life will depend on the works they did in their previous life. And while there are plenty of references to heaven and hell in the Bible, Christian beliefs about the afterlife vary between denominations, as you may have experienced if you come from a different background than an Anglican one. The vast majority of Christians, though, believe in some kind of heaven, a place in which believers enjoy the presence of God and other believers and freedom from suffering and sin. But death is never seen as a good thing in Christianity. It's not a necessary gateway to a better life as some other religions would have us believe. No, Jesus weeps over the death of his friend Lazarus in John chapter 11. It's definitely seen as the enemy and not a part of God's original plan. And it's something that God defeats on the cross of Jesus and which will have no place in heaven. Christians also generally believe Jesus' teaching that those who reject God's grace and his mercy will ultimately end up in hell, while those who repent and believe in him will be saved by that same grace and end up receiving the gift of eternal life. So Christians believe 
in life after death. Now, that, you might say, well, that's just really obvious, Jonathan, <laughs> such as you know, saying that you believe in gravity and that if I was to jump off the tallest building in Charleston, I would probably experience life after death, right? <laughs> but what we disagree on is what life after death is. We disagree about that. Yes, there's clearly a place we believe that Christians go to when they die. After all, as we just heard read, just before Jesus dies, he says to his disciples, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Then Jesus says to the thief on the cross next to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And the apostle Paul writes in his second letters to the Corinthians, yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. But you know what this place is like and when we get there and who will be there is open to much speculation. I want to suggest though that if we stick to scripture, we can have a fairly clear picture of what's going to happen after we die. And yet much of what we believe is actually shaped more by our culture and our traditions than what's said in God's word. False notions of heaven have ended up prevailing in our culture today. In a recent children's book, one popular author, Maria Shriver, who's the niece of John F. Kennedy and the ex-wife of Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator himself, and she's actually seen as a spiritual guide to many people in America. Often she's brought on to TV shows and so on. She writes these words, Heaven is somewhere you believe in. It's a beautiful place where you can sit on soft clouds and talk to other people who are there. If you're good throughout your life, then you get to go to heaven. Sound familiar? When your life is finished here on earth, God sends his angels down to take you up to heaven to be with him. And grandma is watching over us from up there. Now, this is undoubtedly more or less exactly what millions of people in the Western world have come to believe, to accept as the truth, and to teach to their children, even people within churches. Often it's more based on movies, modern books, popular songs, and what we want to believe heaven's like than on the word of God itself. But this idea is packed with errors. As Christians, we would call it heresy. And while it's aimed to bring comfort to children and perhaps grown-ups alike, it's actually, as our former Bishop of South Carolina, Fitzsimmons Allison would put it, it's cruel because it misleads and misinforms and can actually lead people to turn their back on God not vice versa. I'm reminded of the words of Huck in Mark Twain's classic book, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Uh, a pious Christian spinster in the story, Miss Watson, well, she takes a dim view of Huck's fun-loving spirit. And Huck shares of a time where she tells him about heaven, saying, she went on and told me about the good place. She said all a body would ever have to do there was go around all day with a harp and sing forever and ever. So I didn't think much of it. I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer, that's Huck's best friend, would go there, and she said, not by a considered sight. I was glad of that, because I wanted him and me to be together. Now, while that's a work of fiction, I'd imagine for many people, that's how they feel about heaven, and it causes them to not care about the consequences of choosing to follow Jesus or not. It's why you sometimes hear people joke about wanting to go to hell where the party's going on and not to be in heaven where it just must be so boring. So while people like Maria Shriver, they have good intentions, I do believe that, given the damaging consequences, they're detrimental, even cruel, ultimately leading people away from heaven. And so what is heaven then, according to Scripture? 
Well, it's the place where God the Father is right now. And it's where Jesus is in his resurrected body, where he ascended to. It's also where all those believers in Christ who've died are waiting, as if asleep, as Paul puts it. And yet they're already in perfect communion with the Father, more than likely praying for all of us here on earth, and quite possibly able to know what's happening here too, according to Revelation chapter 6. And we recognize this in our service of Holy Eucharist when we say these words every single week. Therefore, we praise you joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. At that moment, as we sing the Sanctus, we are joining with the church seen and unseen around the world in heaven and on earth. But what is it that these people are waiting for? Well, they're waiting for something much better than what they're experiencing right now. And it's not playing harps and sitting on fluffy white clouds whilst they're just waiting around. You see, the really good news is that Christians don't just believe in life after death, but we believe in what N.T. Wright calls life after life after death. Now, bear with me. That might sound confusing. We believe in life after life after death. Listen to what Wright says here. The biblical hope for new heavens and new earth, that is for the utter renewal and reordering of the Creator's project, begun in Genesis 1 and 2, but aborted or at least radically distorted because of human rebellion. The resurrection of Jesus is the launching of this new creation. His body seems to be at home either in heaven or earth or both so that he embodies and encapsulates this new creation in himself. Those who belong to Jesus are thus signed on as new creation people, not just parts of new creation, but since this is what humans were made for as agents of new creation. And it makes sense, doesn't it, when we read our New Testament passage today from Revelation 21. This is a common funeral passage. If you've ever been to a funeral at Holy Cross, you've probably heard this passage read. I always try and make sure that we read it because it's a source of great hope to all people who are grieving, but not also to them, to those of us who follow Jesus right now. You can find it in your scripture sheet if you want to follow along. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven. That's John who's having a vision of what's to come. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So there's no more divide between heaven and earth. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. It has to be one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. You see, Jesus is going to return to this earth one day, and when he does, God is going to make all things new. First of all, our bodies will be made new. In fact, imperishable, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. They'll be similar, but they'll be different. Notice how people don't recognize Jesus after he's resurrected. Do you you notice that in the stories uh, after his resurrection? And notice how he can appear in a locked room. The door's locked, but he can appear. But also notice how he walks and talks, and he still eats and that he has the scars from his crucifixion. It's similar, but different. Also, this earth will be made new. 
and heaven and earth will somehow exist in the same place in a way in which they cannot now. And then thirdly, even heaven itself will be made new. That's interesting, isn't it? Heaven itself will be made new, and it will be a place where there are no more of all the bad things that sin has allowed to enter into the world. Death, pain, sickness, disease, man-made disasters, natural disasters, grief, suffering, crying, etc., etc. It will be as God intended it to be. And then fourthly, it will be a place of purpose and likely of work. And that might scare some of you because you think, well, surely heaven's where I get to play golf all day long, right? But no, it's not work that's tiresome or arduous. Think of the good moments in work where there is joy and there is pleasure. And you're thinking, this is good. If you read Genesis chapter 3, you see that work becomes toil after the fall of Adam and Eve. It's not toil until that very moment. And that before the fall, they're commissioned to work the garden and take care of it. And this is a joyful thing that they love to do. Work is not a bad thing in itself. And in the new heaven and the new earth, we will serve God, as it says in Revelation 22, which implies in itself that we will work for God. But all of our goals and accomplishments will be for the glory of God. As the author of Les Miserables, Victor Hugo, wrote, when I go to the grave, I can say, as others have said, my day's work is done. But I cannot say my life is done. My work will recommence the next morning. The tomb is not a blind alley. It is a thoroughfare. It closes upon twilight, but opens upon the dawn. Fifthly, though, the new heavens and the new earth will be a place of perfect rest as well. Perfect rest. Remember how when God created the heavens and the earth, he rested on the Sabbath, the seventh day, right? As Randy Alcorn puts it in his excellent book, Heaven, Eden is a picture of rest, work that's meaningful and enjoyable, abundant food, a beautiful environment, unhindered friendship with God and other people and animals. But even with Eden's restful perfection, one day was set aside for special rest and worship. Work will be refreshing on the new earth, yet regular rest will be built into our lives. Sixthly, as we just heard, there will most likely be animals in the new heavens and new earth. How often do I get asked that question? It seems likely from Genesis 1 and 2 and from Isaiah chapter 60 that, yes, there will be animals there. Seventhly, while there'll be no marriage, Jesus is clear on this in Matthew 22, it seems likely that we will recognize and be reunited with loved ones who follow Jesus in this life. Uh, number eight, will there be sports, art, entertainment, music, etc.? You know, there's little on this in the scriptures, but I believe that if they can glorify God, then they'll be there. And all of these things can glorify God in their better moments, right? And so I believe that they will be a part of our lives in heaven. And I know that makes some of you very happy. And so what a contrast, right? What a contrast to what Huckleberry Finn is led to believe and what many of us believe too. I think Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher and teacher, got it right when he wrote of death and the afterlife. To come to thee is to come home from exile, to come to land out of the raging storm, to come to rest after long labor, to come to the goal of my desires and the summit of my wishes. Yes, life after life after death is everything that you and I were made for and far more than we could possibly have imagined. And it is incredible news for those who grieve, for those who are sick 
or dying, for those who struggle with depression or anxiety or loneliness or emptiness, feelings of failure or abandonment and more. The good news is that this life is not the end and that one day there will be healing of all brokenness and the deepest longings of hearts we met as we experience perfect communion with our Father in heaven. As we come to a close, I want to say one more thing. As Christians, we don't just believe in life after death or life after life after death. And I'm not going to say life after life after life after death. No, these things actually lead us to believe in life before death. We believe in life before death. In John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And he doesn't mean one day when we die. He means right here, right now. The kingdom of heaven or of God, as he so often speaks about, is coming on this earth now. What does he teach his disciples to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Followers of Jesus are to help bring this kingdom of heaven here to earth through loving our neighbors, through loving our enemies, through healing, through taking on evil, and injustice, through sharing the gospel and more. Our belief that one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth should help us to value the current heaven and earth, not neglect it as many have done. What we do now, it matters. It matters for all of eternity. And many of the great evangelists and the great social reformers throughout history were Christians, and they were Christians who were preoccupied with heaven. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely, excuse me, precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. You know, it's hard to grasp how what we do now matters, isn't it? When we think about a new heaven and a new earth. But listen to the illustration that N.T. Wright gives in his book, Surprised by Hope. The image I've often used in trying to explain this this strange but important idea is that of the stonemason working on a great cathedral. The architect has already got the whole plan in mind, and has passed on the instructions to the team of masons as to which stones need carving in what way. The foreman distributes these tasks among the team. One will shape stones for a particular tower. Another will work on gargoyles, etc., etc. They may not have seen the complete architect's drawing of the whole building, nor may they live to see the completed building. It's interesting that York Minster Cathedral in England took over 252 years to build. But they will trust the architect that the work they have done in following the instructions will not be wasted. They are not themselves building the cathedral, but they are building for the cathedral. And when the cathedral is complete, their work will be enhanced, ennobled, will mean much more than it could have meant as they were chiseling it and shaping it down in the stonemason's yard. You know, we may not see how in this life, but all that we do matters for heaven's sake and for the sake of the new earth to come. So get ready and start planning for the future. This is the glorious hope that we have to look forward to. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come move in our hearts. So would you give us a new picture of what heaven truly is, the new heaven and the new earth? 
Would you take away any of the cultural lies or traditions that have clouded our judgment? And would you give us a real picture of heaven, something that encourages us and uh, that inspires us to live for you? Lord Jesus, we long to be people who are people of your kingdom, bringing your kingdom right here, right now. But we do it in the perspective, knowing that one day we will enter uh, the new heaven and the new earth, where there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more death, no more suffering, and where we will be who we were truly meant to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.